Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. reading is taken from Acts 6, 1 to 7. At the end of this reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. In those days, when the, numbers, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Panamas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sister Tosin. (laughs) All right, good morning, church. Um, Special welcome again if you are here for the first time. My name is Femi, and um, I'm happy to see you. And you've come at the time where we are starting a new uh, series. We're starting a new series. a couple of, um, I think it's going to be six, six weeks, and it's called uh, Leadership and Followership. How many football fans are in the house? How many casual football fans are in the house? You know, watch it, it's, it's okay. Now for the fans and the casual fans, last match you watched, um, how interested were you in whether the teams were playing, whether it was a, a three-step kind of line, that is whether they are playing 4-4-2, 3-5-2, or do you know where your team plays? Or maybe it was the four-step four step line. So like if you have the four at the back, but you have a holding midfielder, then you have behind four others, so 4-1, four, 4-1, one, four, one, you know? Or you could have a four, two holding midfielders, three attacking midfielders, and one, four, two, three, one. Four, one, three, two. <laughs> How many of you watched it to just see whether somebody was going to score or not? Yeah, exactly. Did he hit the net? It's a goal. It's a, it's a goal, right? And it's the same thing. Maybe I don't know when some of us. How many of us read politics? Watch a bit of politics here. Casual political fan. Yeah. How many of you know the people who are in the normal select committees in in the? in the Senate, like the select committees. Do you, do, you, do you know that there are things called select committees in the Senate? 
Or you just wanted to see the election, the Buhari win or Atiku win? I, I, who was it? Is that you? Yeah. You know why? Or maybe one more. One more. I like this one. How many of you, when you, you come to church today, how many of you um, would like to know about church structure? When you hear sermons of church structure, church policy, uh, how many of you tune off? But how many of you like, uh, sure, you become, of course. No, you came to church to hear a message that is going to apply to your life, isn't it? Yes. Because the truth is about most human beings is that we care little about structure. Structure is absolutely boring. So we say. But the thing about structure is when you see structure, you also see rules. And when you see rules, you actually see how things are able to function and how things are able to work. Let me give you some structures that you would identify with. Coach players. Without the coach or the players, without the coach and the players, you really don't have a game. I say structure. Imagine if your your um, let, let's see how many Liverpool fans here. No, okay, how many man? No, how many Manchester United fans here? How many Chelsea fans? Oh, all right, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea fans. Okay, so imagine, imagine Frank Lampard. You heard on you. They gave us, they gave us. Um, a camera into the dressing room, and Frank Lampard tells the boys, guys, all I have to say to you today is go and play with your heart. <laughs> like, I don't really have any wisdom to apply, anything. If I, how many of you are here? 11. You, why are you dressed funny, and you're not dressed like the 10? I, I'm a goalkeeper. Well, who cares? You can go forward if you like. You can go back. All I want you guys to do is, when you are playing, Think about your wife. Think about your family. Think about your God. Play with your heart, and you shall prevail in Jesus' name. Amen. Exactly, Niger way. That's the way. Or how many of you who are Chelsea fans want him to be able to say, well, four of you stay at the back here, right? And you are the, are the, uh, the right and the left. Only go forward when we are moving forward because you, I want you to be attacking wing backs, but I don't want you to forget the back line as well. When the opposing team is coming, keep your structure. Midfielders, holding midfielder, always stay. Always there, be there to clean up and supply the attacking midfielder. Once you get the ball, supply to the attacking midfielder. He's the one that can feed the wingers or the strikers. If you had the first one, how confident will you be in your team? You'll be confident in God. <laughs> if you had the second one, how confident will you be in your team? A little bit more confident. If you say not really, you are no load, dude. That's Olumide. It's Olumide. It's Olumide. Now, at that point, you say you are not interested in structure, but you see the organization and you say, oh, I think something will happen here. If you went into a home, because here's another structure, parent, teachers, a parent and children. If you went into a home and they said, hi, my name is, I came to my home and said, hi, my name is Femi. I'm a person in this home. And this is Tofumi. He's a person in this home. Who is the father? No, we don't have fathers here. We're all just persons. You see, once you see rules, you also see structure. 
when you see structure, you can see things that happen. So we have parents and, t and, 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 and kids. We have conductors and musicians. We have teachers and students. We have foremen and laborers. Wherever you see structure and you see roles, you see things happen. But quite often, with these roles, and especially the ones I just mentioned, you also notice that some would be leaders and some would be those who are led, the leaders and those whom they lead. And if you think about human history, just normal human history, and you think about things that have been achieved, that have been, you know, great things that have been achieved. For instance, talk about the bringing down of apartheid in South Africa. One name comes to mind. Who is that? Mandela. Nelson Mandela, right? And you can think about maybe the, uh, the, the bringing of civil rights into America. One name comes to mind. Who is that? Martin Luther Jr. And so we can think about so many things. Mahatma Gandhi, Obafemi Awolowo, Vaclav Havel. We have all these leaders and the people, actually, that they led because they didn't do it alone. In other words, many times things in our society happen for good or for ill depending on the leaders and those that they led. For ill, many people forget this, that when you think about Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler did not come into power by a military coup. Adolf Hitler did not come into power by sacking a, democrat a democratically elected government. He, wasn't, he didn't come into power because his father was king and inherited king. Do you know how Adolf Hitler came into power? He was elected. He was elected by a majority. And many of the things that he was able to achieve it was because the people of Germany bought into the Nazis' ideology as well. And so for good or for ill, when we think about things that have happened in our world, you have to think about this structure of the leaders and their followers. Let me give you some other names that will be quite important that you would know. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Deborah, David, Elijah, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Nehemiah, Esther, John the Baptist, Jesus. You see, who am I mentioning? I'm talking about the Bible, but not just the Bible, that as you see the unfolding plan of God revealed in the Bible, that you also identify that God has worked through specific individuals leading other people to bring about his work. And that's why if leadership and followership is central in the Bible, it is absolutely central as well in the church. If we're going to do the things that God has called us to do, we have to talk about this thing that quite often we'll say is boring and is inconsequential, but it's absolutely vital. In fact, the church is a place where people should come and learn how to be leaders and followers to serve both within the church but also outside its walls. In our marriages, in our parenting, in our communities, in our families, in our work, in our social clubs, politics, all what have you. And so we're going to look at this series, Leadership and Followership. We've called it Leadership, Followership, a little bit of the play with the sheep, because we have to remember that both those who are leading in the church and those who are being led are all sheep. 
under the great shepherd. The first three of the series will be on leadership, and then the last three would be on followership. Now, most of, if I talk about leadership in the church, most of us are probably just thinking, all right, so I should aspire to be an elder. I should aspire to be a pastor. And even though I would say that our, our churches are crying out for good pastors, good elders, if you're only exclusively thinking about that, then you are bought into the apex male leader syndrome. You know what I mean by that? The apex male leader syndrome is that as long as I see a man that is at the top, he's the one that solves everything. And we think about that, right? Every election, most people don't know who the House of Rep, Rep member is. You don't know who your Senate member, uh, uh, the, the Senate, the senator that's representing. We don't know those things. All we are looking for is who? President. And so that when, you know, um, there's no light in your house, the president's at fault. When um, yeah, uh, somebody, uh, 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 your neighbor is shouting, the president is at fault. When something breaks inside your house, you broke it with your hand, that guy in Asuro Rock. And it's the same thing, you come into a church and you say, who is the pastor? We say, who is the governor? And all of those things. Whereas, what the Bible teaches is this, that leadership extends beyond a single position. It extends beyond a single position, but it also talks about the what and the how of leadership, not just the who. I'll say that again. Leadership extends beyond a single position, according to the Bible, and it also talks about the how and the who, and the how and the what, and not just the who. Amen? All right, so in that regard, we're going to look today at what we call the responsible, the responsible leader. And we're going to look at it under these three headings. One, the need for leaders. Two, the choice of leaders. And three, the effect of leaders. The need, the choice, and the effect. So can, can you turn that a little bit? So... Um, Let's, open, let's go to verse 1. Acts chapter 6. All right, let's go to verse 1. In those days... No, I didn't say turn it off. Just turn it a little bit. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... Maybe I should stop there. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing... You know how we talk about those days. Ah, those days, those days. Now, but it's not talking about just any those days. What is happening here, remember this is Acts chapter 6, is the days when the church was just birthed and was rapidly expanding. So what happened is that the church was born, if you like, in Acts chapter 2. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes down for the first time. People start speaking in tongues. Peter preaches a message. Many people were converted. That's Acts chapter 2. And everything is honky-dory between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. In, between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, we have, you know, amazing healings. We have powerful preaching. We also have awesome community. And so if you're part of the church at that time, you're like, man, nothing can stop us. Look at everything Jesus said was going to happen is happening. Put your hand. Pow! Somebody is, you don't have to have silver and gold. Somebody is lame. Just in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and and they said, man, the community was so sweet. So sweet. The way they broke bread with one another, they prayed. They were just together in one mind. Everything was fine. Peter was preaching wonderful messages in chapter 2, chapter 3. People were just being converted. 
Everything Jesus said was going to happen, happened. Except not everything that Jesus said was going to happen had happened. Because they were enjoying themselves. By the time you get to Acts chapter 4, right, like in, um, from the first verse in Acts chapter 4 to verse 31, you start seeing that the Jewish leaders start to persecute the people and tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ again. But what happens is they pray, the Holy Spirit comes, they are filled with boldness, and they continue to spread the message. Then in Acts chapter 5, if Acts chapter 4, the persecution was from outside, in Acts chapter 5, the very beginning, verses 1 to 11, you have a problem from inside, deception on the inside. Who is that? Ananias and? All right, so they want to deceive the Holy Spirit, but what happens? God still reacts again in judgment, and then there were healings that happened from verse 12, and what you then find in, uh, there were many that were healed from verse 12 to 16. But then, in verse 17, and all the way to 42, they are persecuted once again. This time is much more intense. This time they are put in jail. They are really suffering. But eventually again, they are released. And at the end of verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 41 and 42, it says that they, they, they counted it joy that they were worthy to suffer for the name. It's after that, it then says, in those days that the disciples were increasing. Did you notice a pattern there? The pattern is this. There was a conflict. There's a resolution. The word continues to be preached, and then disciples are increased. Do we understand that? There's a conflict. There's a resolution. The word continues to be preached, and mighty things happen, and then the disciples increase. So, but now we're brought into chapter 6. In those days, the disciples were increasing. For many of us who have any sort of position of leadership, organization, your family, how many of us can identify with problems that come with growth? Huh? You start growing. Ah, you're happy your business is growing, <laughs> but now you're getting more orders, right? Oh, I'm getting more orders, more money, but more money, more problems, right? Before you had one child, everything was fine. And then you add the second one. Especially when you add a second boy. After you had the first boy. And all of a sudden, your empire starts having problems. When the church was 20, it was fine. Then it was now 50, it was okay. Then you had 100. With 25 people from Ilorin coming in, and then you had problems. <laughs> That's the only Ilorin joke for the day. I can just tell you. <laughs> and so you may look at it and say, well, they are just increasing. Wonderful. No. Yes, it's wonderful, but with increase comes problems. And that's what happened. Now, but this problem was also a peculiar problem. And I think it's very similar to something that we have, um, uh, it reminds me of something that we have going on in Lagos. How many of you, you have heard of this word? This word, but it, it's an acronym, it's four letters, but it's, it's now becoming a word. How many of you have heard of IJGBs? You know what IJGB is? IJGB? IJGB is what happens when Kemi, you knew Kemi. You guys were in secondary school together. Everything was fine. Kemi used to eat Amala. 
She used to eat buns. She used to, you know, you know that kind of thing. Now, for some reason, Kemi now left after secondary school, went to the abroad, right? She went, spent 10 years, came back to want to deliver into her national, the national, she wanted to give her own into the national project and all of that. And so you, are happen, you happen to be going through uh, palms. And then you just see Kemi, and you say, Kemi, wow. When, I've, I've not seen you in a while. What happened? You said, I just got back. You have been introduced to an IJGB. Do you understand? Now, but IJGB, is not, it's not just the fact that they just came back. They came back with a lot of baggage. You understand? Because that came here, I said, I used to eat buns before. <laughs> and you know, I said, ah, let, why don't we go together? I remember you love buns so much. Why don't we go together and go get some buns? Let's say, what? <laughs> What's that? What? what? Bun? What's burning? <laughs> IGGBs are the people who always complain about power shortage in this Nigeria, like we didn't know it before. <laughs> Traffic, like it's a new thing. Government, like we were their friends. <laughs> and worst of all, worst of all, who do IGGBs complain about the most? Nigerians. <laughs> like, um, who are you again? <laughs> and then IGGBs are a problem in church. Let's just say it. All right? Let's just say it as it is. Particularly because if you start having too many of them in church and you have to cater for them, they start to drive. Just let me, one example is the music. Because IGGBs were so used to Hillsong, you know, what a beautiful name it is. And so once they start coming in, you find out that the Hillsong comes in and the Tungba goes out. And you know, many of you here, you know, that are not IGGBs, you need to have a little bit of your Tungba. You know the Tungba? Benlo, 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 you know? IGGBs don't deal with that kind of thing. So what then happens is you start having clashes. Now notice, these people have the same religion, Christianity. These people have the same nationality, Nigerians. The problem that separates them is that they are culturally different. And sometimes we overlook that. And so what you have in this church is you have these two groups. Hebraic, uh, uh, the Hebraic uh, 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 Jews, and the Hellenistic Jews, they have two things in common. First of all, ethnically, they are the same, right? They are both Jews. Second, religion, they are the same. They are both Christians. But the difference is in that Hebraic and Hellenistic. Hebraic means that these people were the locals. They were the ones that spoke maybe Hebrew, but most likely Aramaic. They were the People in Jerusalem, they were there. They never went to the abroad. The Hellenistic ones were people in the diaspora, right? The, you know, diaspora. They were in the, that's actually that's where the first uh, where you had Jews that were taken away. That the word diaspora actually first came from that. Jews that were in exile and they didn't really return. So these guys were the ones that were in the Greek Empire that became the Roman Empire, and so the language they learned and were brought up with was Greek. But it's not just a language thing, as I said, because language and culture are very much tied together. And so you can see them clashing. They were clashing in church over many different things as the church started to expand. 
But eventually, it culminated in this. Most of all the leaders, all the leaders were, Jew, were Hebraic Jews. All of them were Hebraic Jews, like the main, the apostles. But at this point now, because you had a lot of widows in the church, there were also widows that were Hebraic, and there were widows that were Hellenistic. And the Hellenistic ones now said, you see, it's your people at the top. Our own people are being ignored. It came to a head. Now, don't just pass over this. Remember the context I gave you. In 4 and 5, all of those persecutions that you're seeing, Ananias and Sapphira, the reason why they are written is Luke is trying to show you that these incidents could have destroyed the church from the cradle. That's why they're recorded. And so that God's mighty intervention came to be able to save and preserve the church. What does that tell you? This particular incident was not a small thing. The church could have split. It was a huge problem. And when you start seeing these kinds of problems, difficult problems in the church coming, wherever problems arise, leaders rise higher. The legitimacy of the situation, the importance of the situation, the complexity of the situation all meant that it could not have been left ignored. So here's the question. Where you see those kinds of issues around you, are you a leader? And by that, I mean this. I need to see two things. Before you respond to a situation, there are two things that must have been present. One is that you must have been committed to the situation, and two, you must have been consumed by the effect. The first one is the what, the other one is the why. You will not bring, a response will not come. You cannot fake it out of you. If you are not, first of all, committed, committed to whether it's the church, committed to this business properly, committed to this family, if you are not committed, the situation that arises will not consume you, and as a result of that, you will not respond when you see dif different issues. Do you understand me? Or else, the kind of thing, and I want to ask you this, are you the kind of person who just basically doesn't notice when issues are happening? You know that person where he said, so why didn't you do anything? He said, nobody, I didn't see, nobody told me. But you know now, if you ask me to do it, I will do it, but nobody asked me. You're not a leader. Why? It shows me that you are either not committed or, and therefore you weren't consumed. That is why you did not notice. So when we have legitimate situations, when we have important situations, and we have complex situations, they are crying out for leadership. Why? Because true leaders are among the first to spot issues and also the first to respond. Now, I can tell you, I can think of a few of those kinds of people that are here. You are here. But we want to see more. So that's the need for leaders. The second is the choice for leaders. The, 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 the choice of leaders. Now, sure enough, leaders respond. Verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. Remember, I told you it's a big problem. The 12 gathered all the disciples together. The 12. Who are the 12? The 12 apostles. 
And so you are here saying, exactly, that's what I'm saying. It is the apex leaders that need to address this situation. They're the ones that have to solve it. Now, since we know we don't have the 12 again, and the 12 were really the, the, the overall leadership of the church was now inherited by what we call elders, pastors, right? Since we don't have them, we have pastors. What we do, what we need to expect is that they will be the ones to solve all of the church's problems. And in a similar manner in your organizations, right, I expect the CEO to solve all the problems. I expect the president to solve, uh, the CEO to solve all the problems in the organization. I expect the, uh, the, the president or the, to solve all the, all the problems in the nation. I expect the executive director to solve all the problems in the NGO, uh, right? I expect the apex leader to solve all the problems since the 12 were the ones that came in. But that's not what happened. They quickly realized, as issues increased with growth, that they had to prioritize their primary calling, which was ministry of the word. Listen to what they said. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God. They knew they should not substitute that ministry as things were increasing. Some people say, oh, no, as things are increasing, that's when you should just spread yourself among all other things. No. It's at that point you have to say, what is my primary calling? They quickly recognized that and said, let us not neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Amen? Amen. So what did they then do? They adapted. And I should say this, they were not demeaning. It's us that read that thing. We read our 21st century way of thinking, looking at min, uh, waiting on tables, and we say, hey, you can't see now. They want to give the boys, the boys, this stupid work. No. What they were saying was, you need to prioritize. And I should speak to many of us again here. We are in different spheres of leadership. Learn to prioritize. Now, here's what they then did. All right, so they creatively and pragmatically adapted. What did they do? They created another tier of leadership to deal with the issue. Notice, the 12 said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. There are two things, very important things, I must say about this in this place, and so please follow closely. The first is this. It is here in the Bible that we find the foundation for flexibility in creating new leadership roles, which, though they are not specified in the Bible, they are perfectly legitimate as they seek to meet the need of the church. Should I say that again? It is here we find in the Bible the foundation for flexibility in creating roles, leadership roles in the Bible, which, though they may not be specified in the Bible, they are perfectly legitimate as they meet the needs of the church. What am I saying? In the Bible, you don't have the role of the associate pastor. In the Bible, you don't have the role of children's minister. You don't have the role of city kids minister. You don't have the role of music minister. You don't have the role of worship leader. You don't have the role of treasurer. You don't have the role of worship coordinator. You don't have the role of GC leader, deputy GC leader, sister's cord, sister's cord. You don't have any of those roles in the Bible. And yet you have the flexibility to create them. 
Why? Because these people saw a need, and immediately they understood that we need to put in leaders. The first thing they did was an ad I'll get to the second thing, but this was, they were just pragmatically responding. What do we need to do here? All right, let's create, let's look for seven other people. Now, I say that because I don't know if some of you have that background, but sometimes I see that in the church. It's like, no, we only follow what the Bible says. This is, there's a difference between being biblical and being biblicist. Do you understand me? Being biblical is really following what the Bible says. So when the Bible says do this, you do that. When the Bible says don't do this, don't do that. When the Bible is silent on some issues, you have to look at biblical principles to know whether or not you can follow it. Biblicists they are people who try to save the Bible from itself. That is, they only want to do what the Bible has said, as though the Bible is, speaks to every single situation. It's biblicists that will come, I'm sorry if you hold to this view, no offense at all. But the Bible says that will come and tell you that the Bible says that God created the world in 24, 6, uh, 26, uh, 24, uh, help me, 26, 24 hour days. When the Bible necessarily didn't say so because the Bible is not a science textbook. It's, the, it's biblicists that will tell you that you can't have drums in the church. Why? Because I don't see where in the New Testament it says that we should have any drums in the church. It's biblicists that tell you you can't sing this kind of song. We should only sing psalms. Because it's only Psalms that were sung in the church. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> the Bible does not say I should ignore Femi Akinwari, but I will do it anyway. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we follow principles that we find in the Bible, not always explicit verses. That's how to be biblical. And so what we see here is a principle that says that we are able to create, adapt to Specific needs by creating roles that though they are not in the Bible are perfectly legitimate because they meet the need of the church. Amen? Amen? That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is this. More specifically, there were the 12 and then the 12 created the 7. Now, even though they, um, um, as I said, it was first a reaction to this specific issue, what it looks like is that after a while, this role, this non-word-centered ministry role, it wasn't focused on the word because the word, the, the, the apostles were going to focus on the word, but this non-word-centered ministry role, it started to develop over the course of time in the church, and it eventually led to a way of dividing the main leadership roles in the church to those who are focused on the word and those who are focused on service. And so that you had the elders and then you then had deacons. And so that you can say that this is the first place where we see deacons. Now, remember, remember, it wasn't first like, hey, now, God spoke to the apostles and said, now you are going to create this rule called deacons. Like there was a textbook given for how you are going to get the exact... Um, leadership division in the church. No, it was first and foremost a response to something, but then it looked like that response was something that could then be codified. So this circumstantial event seems to have developed in a way of dividing leadership roles in the early church that led to the office of the deacon. So when you go to Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul writing to the church at Philippi says this, Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Jesus of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus, the congregation at Philippi, together with the overseers, the overseers are the elders or the pastors, together with the overseers and deacons. And later we find also in Romans 16 verse 1 that there was a lady called Phoebe and she was called a deacon as well. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. And that phraseology, a deacon of the church, is a technical term to say this was an office. And so that's how you have deacons. The two main leadership structures that we find in the church, that are specified in the Bible, and I would say the ones that we specifically ordain for are elders and deacons. But you can have many other things around those. Are we together? Now, but that then, let's now keep going on with the passage. These leaders were not to be chosen randomly. They were not to be chosen randomly. Notice what they said. They wanted reputable leaders. Brother and sister, verse 3. Sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known. They are reputable. And when you choose these people who are known, we will turn this responsibility to them. We will turn this responsibility, 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 responsibility. Response plus ability gives you responsibility. What is responsibility? Responsibility is responding with your God-given ability wherever the need arises. Notice they had abilities, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Stephen, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Whenever he says full of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking about the character, which we'll talk about in another sermon. But then when he's talking about full of wisdom or full of faith, now he's talking about specific abilities. The question is this, if you are responsible, what do you do with, the, with that ability? Because if responsibility is responding with your God-given ability where the need arises, if you are reputable for that, the question, are you reputable for that? Maybe I should ask that question. Or are you reputable for irresponsibility? You know what irresponsibility is? It is seeking recognition for your ability without being responsive with it. Uh, if you know how, I can preach you. They don't even give me preaching time this church. Do you know since when I've been preaching? Or if, if only the, if I led the choir, forget this, um, what Elijah is doing. He's a small boy. <laughs> if I tell you what I've been doing, you should just give me a chance. You see, you want recognition for an ability, but you've never been responsible. You've never responded with it. That's irresponsibility. Let me tell you four types of irresponsible people. Because we have plenty of irresponsible people, not in this church, of course. But we have plenty of responsible people around. Now, I'm going to uh, define those four irresponsible people based on two criteria. First one, the first criteria is, remember, res responsibility is responding with your ability, right? So irresponsibility is, first one that gives us two kinds of people, unused ability. Unused ability. And two kinds of people are one, lazy people. Who are lazy people? You don't want to, you don't respond with your ability because you don't want discomfort. I want to get into church just close to, they've let them, they will have done all those announcements and everything. So nobody can really, the, the church is in full swing. So just close to the word, 
And then when the final announcement is being given, just before the benediction, get out. They call you during the week, no one calls me. I, do, I, know, I know what that call is. They want me to come and serve in something. Like, like you can't catch me. <laughs> Why? Because you, you don't understand the kind of stress I go through during the week. You don't, you do, you don't understand my life. If you understood, you, you understand. Or, no, if, if, you, if you now sign me up for that thing, then after you people will say there's a training, and then I have to come on Saturdays. And I, I work so hard, though, I need to go for one and be on Saturdays. I have to keep it open. Lazy, because you don't want to, you, you don't use your ability because you don't want to be discomforted in any way. The second one is selfish. You would only use your ability only when it benefits you. And so you're asking yourself the question, why would I use it here? Because how, how does it benefit me? Yeah, you're telling it, but okay, other people will be happy. Who cares about whether they're happy? I need to be happy myself. So those are people under the unused ability. Then you have those with the misused ability. If you misuse your ability, you're one of two people. You are immature. Immature people are those who take their ability, but they use it on wasteful endeavors. Right? Very smart guys with very, very nice right brain, analytic, and they play computer games all their lives. Very, very good. Strategic. But they only apply to computer games. Wasteful endeavor. Or you are corrupt. You use your abilities for illegitimate gains. Like some of the people that we know that were recently caught. Do you care about your reputation? Both in the church and outside. Can people say about you that he or she is you, you, you? I know that person. They are responsible. Because that, don't forget, before these leaders, before they laid hands on them, all those seven guys that they laid hands on in five to six, remember it says, choose among yourselves those who are known. They had a reputation that they were already people of service before they, were, they had hands laid on them and appointed into this particular task. It wasn't an AJU kind of like, let's, cost, let's toss a coin, all right, and find out who is really good. No, they knew. Immediately they said that. They said, ah, ah, Stephen, Stephen, come. You know now. Ah, ah, Prochorus, ah, come, come, come. Ah, Nicholas, come, come. And I say it again. Here, sometimes there are people like that. We see a particular issue. The next thing is, have you called this person? Have you called that person? The other name comes up and says, eh, let's not call that one. <laughs> let's not call that person. Because there are people who are reputable. In other words, don't forget this. When it came to the issue of the deacons, and I would say with most leaders, reputation precedes ordination. People's reputation comes first, and that is what leads to their being ordained. You see, the deacon's ordination is a recognition. There are three things about the ordination. It's a recognition of the reput their reputation of serving, then it is to inspire them towards continuous excellence, and it's a presentation of them as a model for others to follow. I'll say that again. It's a recognition of their reputation of service, inspiration for them to continue to uh, excel in it, but also a presentation of them to others, their leaders. And so they're saying, follow these people. A presentation of them as models for us to follow. 
What are you known for? Are you lazy? Are you immature? Are you corrupt? Are you selfish? Phoebe that they knew, in verse 2, it says about Phoebe, she, you know what she was very good at? She was very good in generosity. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. What are you known for? Reputation precedes ordination. Now, these men and women with this reputable um, uh, character they had and, uh, in serving, it always led to a positive effect. That brings me to the last point, to a positive effect. Well, I'm just going to skip all of this. What was the effect eventually? Look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. Somebody says so. You know why that so is there? It's not the word of God spread. So let's continue with the story. So connects you to the, the previous six verses. On account of what of the appointment of these people and now their ability to solve this task, you know what happened? The word spread. Many of us, whether it's in church or in our organization, we complain about we complain about mission drift. People are no longer committed. They, they don't really understand it. Instead of us, most times we look at the people. Why are you not behaving like this? Why are you not behaving like this? You know what this is saying? Look at your org chart. Maybe your org chart is too archaic for where you actually are now. You need to create more leadership roles, not just for the, so, uh, for the sake of structure. Structure is not, doesn't serve itself. It's not meant to serve itself. It's meant to serve your mission. All of a sudden, these people who are not the ones that are evangelizing, one of them eventually became a great evangelist, Philip, but none of them, they weren't brought here for them to be able to evangelize. They were brought here to be able to serve within the church, and on account of that, it gave the apostles the ability to prioritize the ministry of the word, and so the word of God spread. And I love what he says after. He says, the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. Is that what he said? It says increased rapidly. In the beginning, it said the disciples were increasing after what had happened. Healings happened, and then they increased. This one is not a supernatural. No supernatural healing was happening. They said people were reorganized, and there were specific individuals who were reputable. They were given this task to, to function in, and as a result of that, as a result of this responsible leadership, you know what happened? The word of God spread, and now it wasn't just an increase, it was a rapid increase. Listen, city church, even though you are not called to be an elder or a pastor, for the purpose of the mission of this church and the mission of God to advance, we need everyone here to demonstrate responsible leadership. And by that, I mean by helping in a patrol team, by ushering on the projector and the tech, music team, city kids, and even your generosity. You see, well, not just, and I'm not just talking about doing so regularly. I'm talking about sometimes the need arises, like Yemi pointed out to us today. Thank you for giving. But now we're asking more for more where you can, because the need has arisen. 
not for the purpose of just balancing the books, not for the purpose of just seeing everybody walk around, for the purpose of the mission, for the purpose of the word to spread. Amen? That's why I love someone, a guy called David Howell, his definition of leadership. He said, biblical leadership is taking the initiative to influence people to grow in holiness and to passionately promote the extension of God's kingdom in the world. Now, but you know why we can do all of this? Because there is an Arctic. I don't know if you grew up in the Anglican church. That is the one rule I still don't understand. I understand curates. I understand wardens. I understand deans. Um, all of those I understand. I still don't know what an Arctic is. But I do know one Arctic. This Arctic was not just full of spirit. He had the spirit on him without limit. And Isaiah 11, 2, it says that he had the spirit of wisdom rest on him. When he saw the cosmic chaos brought about by sin in all of humanity, you know what he did? He responded with redemption efforts and led through service on the cross before serving through leading from the throne. You see, deacons serve through their leading elders lead through their service. I said that wrong. Deacons lead through their service. Elders serve through their leading. And what we see in Jesus Christ is on the cross, he led through his service. Before, on the throne, he served through his leading. What would you be known for? Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.